This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Our scripture reading today is from Proverbs uh, 3 verses 1 to through 10. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For lengths of days and years of life and peace that will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with vine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. This is the word of God. So, have you heard of the popular self-help guru, Tony Robbins? Ironically, he has a Netflix infomercial disguised as a documentary called, I Am Not Your Guru, but he really wants to be your guru. Um, His website promises that you can live a healthier, wealthier, more fulfilling, passionate, and purposeful life. Doesn't that sound great? People pay $5,000 to go to his six-day seminar. (laughs) And for those who really want the personal attention, they can give him $85,000, and he'll meet with you 36 times over the course of a year. He's worked with all kinds of celebrities and business leaders and heads of state, including Bill Clinton. And one exciting aspect of his seminars is the fire walk. You know, the kind of thing that Hindu holy men have done for millennia. And in his book, Unlimited Power, he teaches a technique he calls neuro-linguistic programming. Sounds pretty sophisticated, right? He claims that it will rewire your mind for peak performance. 
So the procedure is simple. You lay down, you focus on the thoughts that are sabotaging you, and then you yell, whoosh, <clears throat> while throwing your arms in the air, and they go away. A lot of people say that he's really helped them. I've done some research on his teaching, and I don't recommend it. It's, it's very worldly and self-centered. But the self-help industry is huge in the U.S. Um, there's the perennial... Per, that's easy for me to say. Perennially popular How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, Habits of, a, of Highly Effective People. And there's a new bestseller by Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. And I'm not knocking any of those books. They have some good stuff in them. They have a lot in common, in fact, with the book of Proverbs. Um, anyone who follows the principles, I mean, really follows the principles in them, can improve their lives in various ways. But the book of Proverbs, like the rest of the Bible, is not a self-help book. It's not something to help us get our best life now. It's a love letter. It's a love letter from a father to his sons and daughters. And it's designed to guide us through this life. So, why did I title the sermon today, Five Ways to Love God? I mean, it sounds like a self-improvement program, doesn't it? Another checklist of things that we need to do. More ways that I'm not measuring up. Guilt. But that's not my intention. Nor is it the thrust of our passage today. The passage that we just heard from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1-12. through 12. In it, there are five admonitions from a parent to a child who's about to leave the nest. But there's a loving relationship at the core of every one of these instructions. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He replied that it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, with your whole being. And from that, it sounds like we're all in trouble. After all, who loves God with their whole being? So before we dig into this text, I want to clear up a common misconception. The idea that my performance will win favor with God. Of all the world's religions, Christianity is unique. All other religious systems are based on man's efforts to reach God. If you keep the rules, you'll be accepted. If you don't, you'll be rejected. But in Christianity, God is the one who makes the effort, and he reaches out to man by sending his son Jesus to the cross for our sins, he opened the door for a relationship based purely on grace, not on our efforts, not on our performance. So how does this relate to the great commandment to love God? Don't we have to love God in order for him to love us? I'm glad you asked that question. 1 John 4.8 says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
Now this is talking about loving our brethren here, but read on to see that our ability to love does not come from within ourselves. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is a payment. And he made that payment. He loved us first. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Once we accept that fact and we turn away from our sins and toward God, then we can love him in the way that we were intended to. But how is that? Well, in verse 5 of Romans 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The third member of the Trinity comes to us and enables us to love supernaturally. So, as we go through these five ways to love God this morning, keep in mind that these are all responses to the love of God. Love that he's already shown us. Shown us. And it's the Spirit of God within us that enables us to love him back the way he desires. So today's passage is another one of those parental instructions that we see in the first part of the book of Proverbs. It's another one of those long poems found in the first part of Proverbs. And in it, there are these five admonitions, five urgent pleas. And attached to each one of these is a blessing So the first admonition is to keep. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So this first admonition serves as an introduction and a summary for the rest of the four. It's a plea from a Jewish parent to a child to remember and keep all the teaching that he's been given while he's been growing up. The word for teaching here is Torah, the Hebrew word for law. And it's not, it's not referring specifically to the first five books of the Bible, but it would certainly entail them. God instructed Jewish parents to infuse their children with God's word as they lie down and when they rise up and as they walk along the way, all the time. So notice that it says here to let your heart keep the teaching. This isn't legalistic rule keeping. It's a faithful response to the truth. It's the response of a child to a loving and wise parent. And the blessing here is long life. But I have to remind you that Proverbs are not promises, but probabilities. They entail likely outcomes, not guaranteed outcomes. Take, for example, the modern proverb, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Notice it's a short, pithy way to capture the idea that if you eat healthy foods, then you'll generally be a healthy person. That's true, but nobody expects you to take it literally. If I eat an apple every day, I'll never have to go to the doctor. Only the very young 
or a simpleton would take it that way. So this teaches that in general, people who follow God's law will have long life and healthy lives. The second half of the blessing, though, is peace. The Hebrew word shalom. And again, if you faithfully follow the Lord, the likelihood of peace in your life is much greater than if you don't. Those who forget God's laws will certainly bring calamity upon themselves. But even though a faithful follower encounters trouble and strife in their lives, not of their own making, they can still enjoy peace. They can still have peace with God. Now verses 3 and 4 go together with 1 and 2 as couplets. It's kind of a rephrasing and continuation of the previous two lines. And the admonition here is to write. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, it's a heart matter. We are to write these things on our hearts. This means they should be ingrained in our memory. There's a permanence here. It's like a necklace with a picture in a locket that you never take off. It'll never be lost. And the words steadfast love and faithfulness are often seen together in the Hebrew scriptures referring to God. Dozens and dozens of times they're together talking about God. Psalm 108.4 says, For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. And these are the Hebrew words hesed and ameth. Hesed is God's covenant love. A covenant is a relationship, not a contract. And ameth is his absolute truthfulness. These are aspects of God that will never fail. And here, the believer is to reflect these characteristics in their life. This emphasizes, again, the relational character of the law. And the blessing here is also relational. Favor and success with both God and man. It reminded me of the verse in 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. This isn't the initial cleansing of sin that happens the moment we're born again. This is a daily cleansing that keeps us close to God. And because God is good and we're made in his image, we reflect his goodness when we're close to him. And other people are drawn to us. This is true whether a person is a Christian or not. If you follow God's ways, those who live according to biblical principles, like Mormons, for example, will generally do better in their families and in their businesses than people who reject biblical values. The next admonition is to trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'm sure many of you have memorized them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now usually trust doesn't just happen. It builds over time. 
If a person over the course of time consistently behaves in a trustworthy manner, then you're going to become more and more trusting of them. But sometimes a person can do some extraordinary gesture that will cause you to trust them immediately. So imagine you're an employee at a widget factory and your supervisor is always taking credit for your work and blaming you for everything that goes wrong. But what if a new boss comes in and in the first week you make a mistake and ruin an expensive batch of widgets and the plant manager hears about it and he wants to know what happened and your new supervisor takes responsibility, says it's my responsibility. How would that make you feel? Well, you'd be relieved and you would be thankful and you would have immediate trust in that new supervisor. Well, when you believe the gospel, God became your new supervisor. Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He made the ultimate gesture. He gave his son. You want to trust God more? then preach the gospel to yourself every day. God gave his son to take the responsibility for your sin. Always go back to that beginning and you will be filled with relief and thankfulness and trust. The opposite of trust in God is trust in self. Look at verse 6 again. Don't lean on your own understanding. Without God's wisdom, you and I don't have the information to navigate through this life. Which leads us to the blessing associated with trusting God, a straight path. The Hebrew phrase, make your path straight, means to clear obstacles in the road. Means to level the road. We're often blind to obstacles and the bumps and the ruts in the path ahead of us. We often don't know what to do or which way to go. And one of the definitions of wisdom that I gave you at the beginning of this series is wisdom is the acquired learning that helps us to know what to do in a given situation. So do you want to know what to do in any given situation? Well, trusting God gives us that ability. Not perfectly, because we don't acknowledge God in all our ways, all the time, but we can progressively get better at hearing God's voice and obeying it. Did you know that there are blind slalom skiers? You ever heard of that? Paired with sighted skiers, the blind skiers are taught on the flats how to turn right and left. And when that's mastered, they're taken up to the slope where their sighted partners ski next to them and shout, left, right, left, right. And as they obey the commands, they're able to negotiate the slalom course. They avoid the obstacles. Now, a fool cannot avoid the obstacles in his path. Ecclesiastes 2.14 says that a wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And look at Proverbs 4.19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what 
they stumble. You know, several times I've been studying here in my office late at night, and I go to leave my office in the pitch darkness, and I foolishly leaned on my own understanding of where the walls and corners were. (laughs) I learned it's better to turn on a light than to run into a wall. (laughs) So the fourth admonition is to fear. Verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When we're wise in our own eyes, we cannot see evil. We can't see it for what it is. This is the sin that tempted Eve in the garden. She wanted to eat the fruit so she could decide what was good and evil. And this is the temptation that we've all had since. We want to be our own gods. We want to be the ones who decide. I heard a story recently about the 2017 shooting spree by a Mississippi man who killed several members of his family and their friends because his wife had left him. And I listened to his testimony in court where he complained that nobody understood him and he'd always loved and protected his family and that he was still madly in love with his wife and he was going to love her for the rest of his life. What he did was blatant, obvious evil, but he didn't see it. And I know this is an extreme example, but we all have blind spots. We all have excuses for our sins. And again, this is not a matter of human will and rule keeping. It's transformation through a relationship. To fear God is to bow before him in awe and wonder. When we learn to fear him, evil is exposed. We can begin to see it for what it is. God's holiness shines on our unholiness. And when the sin comes into the light, we're repelled by it and we turn away. The blessing here is healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So does that mean that believers should always expect to be healed from physical difficulties? Well, while a a godly lifestyle is a healthy lifestyle, people who avoid excesses in food and drink or violence generally live longer and healthier lives. But that is not always the case. Some faithful believers get sick, and some die young. And we should take this verse, I think, more spiritually than literally. The next admonition is to honor. Verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Generosity toward God is built in to the life of faith. We see it was a part of worship from the very beginning of the Bible. It's a recognition that he is the provider of everything we have, our breath. Cain and Abel brought their offerings. Abraham gave tithes to the mysterious priest of Yahweh, Melchizedek. And for the Jews under the Old Covenant, the law laid out detailed parameters for how they should give. 
Almost every religion known to man has some kind of sacrificial giving. But unlike pagan religions, our gifts and offerings are not appeasements or bribes to the deity. They're just one more way to love God. Why do we give gifts to the people we love? Or at least why should we give gifts to the people we love? Because we want them to love us more? No. Because it's expected? No. Think of it like a birthday party with gifts. It's a way to honor the person and let them know that they're loved. That's the proper motivation for our giving to God. It's to honor him out of love for him. So what's the benefit here? Lots of wealth, full barns, and much wine. So all faithful believers should be rich, right? Well, there's a lot of TV preachers that teach that. But again, this is a general principle, not a promise. There are, there's plenty of advice in the Bible about how to deal with money, how to pursue about the pursuit of riches. In fact, Jesus flat out said, don't do it. Look at Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Is your heart seeking God, or is it seeking wealth? Wealth is a false god, and it will take everything from you in the end. Look at Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Money can be gone in a minute. So the benefit in this verse is that your barns will be filled with plenty. It's a metaphor for contentment. Remember Paul said that he learned how to be content in times of prosperity and in times of want. So when we honor God with our whole life, including our finances, we will have full, satisfied hearts. Now this passage ends with a final plea and warning. Again, this is the godly parent desiring the best for their child as they go out into the world. So verse 11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Learning to love God is not a passive thing. It takes intention, and it takes attention. Sometimes parents have to get their children's attention in order to train them, right? Sometimes they must do this through causing some level of distress in the child. One of psychologist Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, I think unwittingly, reflects the heart of God in implementing discipline. The rule is, this is rule five, don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. It's, that's startling. 
Why is that? Because if you, as a parent, don't like your child, how do you think the rest of the world is going to react to them? And that's the point. We want them to be happy. We want them to be accepted. We want them to have good relationships. The desire of a loving parent is for their child to be happy and have a healthy life. And that cannot happen without discipline. And as with children, sometimes God must make our circumstances uncomfortable in order to get our attention. But his motive is always love. Love for us and a desire for us to return that love. So Tony Robbins wants to help you reach your full potential. A few thousand dollars, stroll through the coals, and you might get there. Religion says that if you follow the rules and jump through all the hoops, you might reach heaven or enlightenment or whatever. But God says, I love you and I desire a relationship with you and I want you to love me back. And that's forever. That's an offer that no wise person could ever refuse. Let's pray. Lord, the depths of your love we don't know, but we'll always be discovering more. Lord, we praise you that you've proclaimed your love beginning with the the gift of your Son to pay for our sins. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can have this relationship with you, that we can love you back. Lord, teach us, fill us with your Spirit that we might reflect your glory And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, Just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.